Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Roy Conover, and I am the care pastor here at LifePoint. We are so glad that you have joined us on this nice, warm weekend. And for those of you who are joining us online, thank you for tuning in with us and anyone else who just happens to check this out later. Now, we are in the middle of a series, if you were just joining us. We started Bible in a Year probably back in May, and we've been grouping different Bibles of the book, starting in the Old Testament, and we're doing them in series right now. The current series we're calling Second, What Happens When God Isn't First? And Pastor Kyle and Pastor Fred kicked off this series, and they uh, covered the books of Joshua and Judges. And we're going to be turning a bit of a corner today in terms of theme that's happening with the people of Israel. And I'll get to that in just a little bit. But part of what's going on is the people are clamoring for a king. They want a king. They're desperate for a king. And so we're going to hear about what that process looks like. Now, uh, we'll be covering the books of Ruth, First and Second Samuel. So just a little bit of territory today. Now, as we get started, some of you may have been wondering, why is Roy wearing a crown? Is he a long-lost relative of Prince Harry? Or perhaps you're wondering if I just think I'm that important. Probably closer to the second one, I won't lie. But I appropriately titled this message, Losing the Crown. Because how easily we get in the place in our lives where we're the king and we're the queen. Doesn't take much for us to want to be in charge and have that control in our lives. But I think what we all recognize, whether we want to admit it to ourselves or not, is that we all lose the crown at some point. And it's just really a matter of how that's going to happen. So we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go along. Now, in this series, Pastor Kyle, when he kicked it off a couple weeks ago, there is a theme verse or passage as well as uh, a point that we're trying to make throughout this series. So I want to just catch you up if you're joining us. Now, if you brought your Bibles, uh, I encourage you to pull it out. You can read along. If you don't have a Bible, you might see black Bibles just sitting on any of the chairs. You're welcome to just grab that and open it and read along. So we're going to look here in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 6 to 9. These are our theme verses for this series. It says this. When they said, give us a king to judge us, Samuel, who is a prophet, considered their demand wrong. So he prayed to the Lord. But the Lord told him, listen the people and everything they say to you. They have not rejected you. They have rejected me as their king. They are doing to you the same thing to you they have done to me. Since the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, abandoning me and worshiping other gods, listen to them, but solemnly warn them and tell them about the customary rights of the king who will reign over them. So this is where you see that whole theme introduced about wanting to have a king. Now, the main point throughout this series is this. When we don't obey God, when we don't obey God first, we open ourselves up to making him last. And that's the danger of us wearing a crown. Now, if you were here last week, you heard Pastor Fred talk about judges which I know we covered a whole book in 30 minutes, which is ridiculous, but hopefully you've picked up your reading plans. They are out at the Connection Center, so that way you're keeping up to speed with the books that we are trying to cover. 
Now, in the book of Judges, there was a verse that he mentioned last week, Pastor Fred did, that the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. That was the focus. The country itself was going in lots of different directions because people are pretty much just doing whatever they wanted to do. Now, for today, in covering the books of Ruth and First and Second Samuel, um, I needed a little extra time, so I just cut Ruth out of the mix, sorry. Uh, Ruth, though, we did a series last November, and you can go online to lifepointnv.com, or you can also check out our YouTube channel. We did a four-week series on it. It was fantastic, so I encourage you, you can go back and catch the book of Ruth. So primarily, we're going to be looking at First and Second Samuel today. And when we look at these books, uh, it's all about transitioning from a theocracy to a monarchy. Theocracy being where God was leading using Moses, Aaron, uh, um, Joshua, others to be his mouthpiece, but then shifting to a monarchy, which is a more centralized government under a king. And of course, looking at First and Second Samuel, First Samuel is all about King Saul, Second Samuel is all about King David, and both of their reigns. Now, those two books historically were always put together as one book. They were later separated. So just to give you a brief overview of First and Second Samuel, uh, the time frame of First Samuel, we believe First and Second Samuel was written after 931 BC. And most would think that the author was Samuel since it's his name in there, but he dies in chapter 25 of chapter one, or First uh, Samuel, so it can't be him. But many scholars believe both Samuel, Gad, and Nathan, all the prophets and their writings compiled and contributed to whoever put those books together. And then in terms of the themes that we see, not dissimilar from many of the themes that we've seen in a couple of the previous series as we've kicked off our Bible in a Year series, right? You see leadership, you see God's control and obedience and God's faithfulness. And we're going to see these especially as we talk today. Now, there's a main point I want to drive for us today as we're looking at First and Second Samuel, and it is this. Obedience leads to success. Disobedience leads to suffering. So obedience leads to success. Disobedience leads to suffering. I'm so sorry, Laura. I jumped way ahead and skipped the breakdown of the chapters. So let me back up. My fault. Uh, for those of you who are like, oh, okay, well, just give me the basic themes of these chapters. In First and Second Samuel. So First Samuel... Samuel's birth, his call, uh, and initial ministry. It's all the first seven chapters of 1 Samuel. And then chapter 8 is where we make that shift and move from theocracy to monarchy. Okay? And then chapters 9 to 12 of 1 Samuel is all about King Saul's call and being the first king of Israel. And then the rest of 1 Samuel is about his victories, very brief, and then his failures as king. Then we shift in 2 Samuel. The first four chapters are supposed to be about King David stepping in and now becoming king. But unfortunately, there was a little bit of power struggle. So that's what we read in the first four chapters. And then the rest of 2 Samuel is the highlight of David as king. Thank you, Laura. She's like probably looking at me. Come on, Roy. Is this right there on the slide? 
Okay, so to our main point again, want to make sure we don't miss this. Obedience leads to success. Disobedience leads to suffering. And I know this seems simple enough, but how often do we go through our life, and I don't think we're necessarily conscious of this, it makes sense, and yet our human emotions get in the way, our egos get in the way, and we'll look at this. So this is what we see with King Saul. He had some success early on as king. So even as he is being confirmed as king, He's got a standing army of about 300,000 men, and it comes to their attention that the town of Jabesh-Gilead has been taken over by the Ammonites, and they're going to go in, and they're going to uh, free them and rescue them. And so Saul has these 300,000 men at his disposal, and actually the scripture says that they attack them before sunrise, before the heat of the day. Because I think the author wanted to make sure that, you know, they weren't going to even break a sweat with this fight, right? I mean, God was going before them, and he was going to give them the victory. And that happens. And so let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 11, starting in verse 12, to see what comes right after this. It says, Afterward, the people said to Samuel, Who said that Saul should not reign over us? There had been some people in the process of the confirmation who were grumbling about Saul. They weren't his biggest fans. Give us these men so we can kill them. But Saul ordered, no one will be executed this day, for today the Lord has provided deliverance in Israel. And then Samuel said to the people, come, let's go to Gilgal so we can renew the kingship there. So all the people went to Gilgal. And there in the Lord's presence, they made Saul king. This was so important that Saul, if you notice, didn't make a big deal of his detractors. I mean, he could have sought them out and had them killed, but instead he pointed everyone back to God. This was about God's victory. So this was an early, okay, Saul is doing the right things as king. So they made Saul king. There they sacrificed fellowship offerings in the Lord's presence, and Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. So Saul is doing some things right here initially as king. And Samuel instructs the people, let's go to Gilgal. We're going to confirm him. He wanted to make sure with some of the grumbling that was happening, no doubt God gave him this victory. Saul has been God's chosen one. He is the one, no doubt about it, that is meant to be the king of Israel and lead them moving forward. Now, if we continue in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 12, Samuel is making his final speech to the people of Israel. And this is significant, right? We're transitioning from theocracy to monarchy. We're transitioning now from the time of judges into kingship. So this is uh, Samuel, who has been the last judge, moving into role of prophet and going to be speaking to the king on God's behalf. And so we see him giving this final speech. He's reminding the people of how God faithfully led the nation of Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land. Remember, this generation would have had no clue. This was generations ago that this happened. And so you hear these reminders. Now, despite despite Samuel's pleas, the people keep demanding for God to give them a king. They wanted a king. Everybody else has a king. All the nations around us have kings. How come we don't have a king? Give us a king. So the people were grumbling and complaining. And God chose Saul. And Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was impressive to look at. He stood a head taller than everyone else. So this was God's choice. But 
also, God was wanting to remind the people in this moment in Samuel's final speech to the people that they have held evil in their heart by requesting a king and not trusting him to rule over them. And we see uh, this in 1 Samuel chapter 12, starting in verse 16. Let's look at this. Now, therefore, present yourselves, this is Samuel speaking, present yourselves and see the great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Isn't the wheat harvest today? I will call on the Lord, and he will send thunder and rain so that you will recognize what an immense evil you have committed in the Lord's sight by requesting a king for yourselves. So he is going to make sure that they are aware God is all-powerful. So Samuel called the Lord, and on that day, the Lord sent thunder and rain. As a result, all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel, right? This was interesting is the people are figuring out, figuring out, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Okay, so it continues. They pleaded with Samuel, pray to the Lord your God for your servants so we won't die. For we have added to all the sins of evil of requesting a king for ourselves. So there is an awareness and a recognition on their part that what they have asked for is wrong, is evil, is out of line. There is no obedience, go back to our main point, no obedience to be found here, right? People are just wanting what they want. So Samuel continues here. Samuel replied, don't be afraid. Even though you have committed all this evil, don't turn away from following the Lord. Instead, worship the Lord with all your heart. So he's hearkening back to Deuteronomy, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. So love the Lord the God, your, your God with all your heart. Don't turn away to follow worthless things that can't profit or rescue you. They are worthless. The Lord will not abandon his people because of his great name and because he has determined to make you his own people. So this is all part of Samuel's uh, final speech to the people. And despite their rejecting God, Samuel is trying to console them and uh, reassure them, it's okay, God is not going to abandon you. But this isn't just about them thousands of years ago. Let's make it practical and bring it to us. This is about us. This is about me. This is about any of our desire, how easily I can relegate God to second place in my life, third, fourth, much further down the list. And unfortunately, Saul's obedience that was early on quickly turns to disobedience, and he will suffer the consequences. And this is the second main point that we see in, uh, in this account today. And it's this, there is nothing so tragic as to look good on the outside and not know God on the inside. Isn't it? We can have all the pretenses and look a certain way, but if our relationship with God isn't real on the inside, then it really doesn't matter. Now, I already mentioned earlier that Saul was impressive to look at. He stood a head taller than everyone else. He came from a very prominent family. But from a worldly perspective, he had it all. He had it all together, and he certainly had the makings to be a great leader. But when he was pressed by the circumstances in his life, right, the real character of who he was came out. Now, Saul has a major leadership blunder, and his very human ego shows up and gets in the way. Now, he had, remember, in that Jabesh Gilead uh, attack that they did to rescue the town, 300,000 men at the ready. 300,000 men who were ready to fight for him. 
So what does he do? He whittles them down to 3,000. He takes the choicest of men, probably an elite fighting force, think Navy SEALs, and he sends all the rest home to their tents. And then what he does is he separates the 3,000 into two groups. He takes 2,000 of them. He at the time was at Michmash and he was heading to Gilgal. And then he gives his son Jonathan 1,000 of those other troops. And he's in Gibeah, probably about 15 miles away. And there were all kinds of Ammonite people from the Ammonites as well as Philistines who were having raids and different attacks that were happening. So this is all going on. So in the meantime that this is happening, Saul was supposed to meet Samuel at Gilgal. So that was his ultimate place that he was supposed to get to. Well, Saul's army is becoming overwhelmed. They're afraid. They start running for the thickets and the caves to hide. Some of them deserted altogether. And Saul is beginning to freak out. He's not sure what he's supposed to do. And so in that his impatience and waiting for Samuel to arrive, he starts offering burnt offerings to God. And that's something that Samuel normally would have done. And in his pride, his disbelief, and in his impatience, Saul blows it. He disobeys God. So let's pick up. All of this has happened. 1 Samuel chapter 13, starting in verse 10. So speaking of Saul here, Saul here, just as he finished offering the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. How often has that happened in your life? You're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting for someone to show up for a party, you're waiting for something to happen at work, you're waiting, you're waiting, and the minute you give up waiting and think, I'll just take care of this myself, they show up. This is exactly what happens. So Saul went out to greet him, and Samuel asked, what have you done? That's the way I hear it in my head when I read the scripture. What have you done? Because Samuel is just incredulous at this point as to what Saul has done. So Saul answers, when I saw that the troops were deserting me and you didn't come within the appointed days, (laughs) it's the troops' fault and it's your fault because neither of you did what you were supposed to do. Isn't this what he's saying? So when you didn't come within the appointed days and the Philistines were gathering at Michmash, I thought the Philistines will now descend on me at Gilgal and I haven't sought the Lord's favor. So I forced myself to offer the burnt offering. I forced, oh, the burden of kingship. I forced myself to do what you weren't here to do. I mean, this is essentially what Saul is saying. So, Samuel says to Saul, you have been foolish. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. It was at this time that the Lord would have permanently established your reign over Israel, but now your reign will not endure. The Lord has found a man after his own heart, and the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people because you have not done what the Lord commanded. Saul knew full well that he shouldn't have offered those burnt offerings, that that was Samuel's role to do. And he seriously couldn't have stopped at any point and prayed. He had had conversation with God before. It's not as if he hadn't talked to him, but that's not what he did, right? Saul was deceiving himself, and he was thinking that he could just get away with it, that somehow he wouldn't get caught. 
But ultimately, he was taking control. He put those burnt offerings and offered them to God instead of letting Samuel do it because he wanted to control how things were going. Everything else felt out of control. His troops were deserting him, and he was fearful that they were going to be overtaken. So he, he let his pride, his impatience, his disbelief, his lack of trust. Ultimately, what we see here is he was very far from God. Thinking about God was the last thing on his mind when we look at this text. So the, the sad part of that is, too, here God had just given him victory at Jabesh-Gilead. And how quickly we forget God's faithfulness. And that's exactly what happened to Saul. But what does that look like for us, for you and me, and the circumstances in our life? And sometimes they feel insurmountable. It feels like we're being surrounded and attacked. And sometimes it looks like a health condition for you or a loved one. Sometimes it looks like a financial strain or struggle. Sometimes it's a job situation. Sometimes it's a relational problem. Maybe where some forgiveness is needing to happen between you and another person. Sometimes it's an ethical dilemma. I don't know what it is. But the challenge for all of us is, will we let go of control? And even what we see with our physical eyes that might tell us that we're overwhelmed and that we're going to lose something. And instead say, God, this is not my place. I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to let you have that crown before it gets ripped away from me. Now, Saul's ultimate failure came a couple of chapters later when God told him to destroy the Amalekites for having come against Israel when they were leaving Egypt and on their way to the promised land. So God was very clear with Saul. There was no gray area here. He wanted, the, he wanted Saul to take the army and to destroy the Amalekites completely. All the people, all the animals, everything. And Saul almost gets it right, except that he lets the king live, and they keep all the choicest livestock, cattle, sheep, everything, right? So all of this has now happened. You'll be able to read about that. Look at God's response after what Saul does. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 10 and 11. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I made Samuel... Uh, that I made Saul king, for he has turned away from following me and has not carried out my instructions. So Samuel became angry and cried out to the Lord all night. And here is where we actually see a final interchange between Saul and Samuel. As you look through the rest of 1 Samuel and all that happens to King Saul, there will be no more interactions between him directly and uh, Samuel. So here in 1 Samuel chapter 15, we'll start in verse 12, is where Samuel is going to confront Saul on what he didn't do in following God's instructions. So early in the morning, Samuel got up to confront Saul, but it was reported to Samuel, Saul went to Carmel where he set up a monument for himself. <laughs> I am so impressed with myself, I almost did what God told me to do, right? Not Exactly right. Then he turned around and went down to Gilgal. When Samuel came to him, Saul said, May the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. Right? Not even close. Samuel replied, Then what is this sound of sheep, goats, and cattle I hear? 
whether he literally heard them or he's just calling Saul on his lack of obedience. Not sure, but you make the point. Saul answered, the troops brought them from the Amalekites and spared the best sheep, goats, and cattle in order to offer a sacrifice to the Lord your God. So again, blame, 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 blame. He won't own anything. It's his troops' fault. And then after all, it's so that we can sacrifice to God. Did God ask for you to keep the the, the cattle to sacrifice to him? No, he didn't. But the rest we destroyed. And I love Samuel's response. Stop. I mean, I can just imagine it. It's like, stop. Stop with the lies. Stop with your self-deception. Just stop exclaimed Samuel, let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And Saul says, tell me, he replied. Samuel continued, although you once considered yourself unimportant, if you read the early text before Saul becomes king, this is true. Haven't you become the leader of the tribes of Israel? You're now God's, you're the leader of God's people. The Lord anointed you king over Israel and then sent you on a mission and said, go and completely destroy the sinful Amalekites. You miss anything with that word completely? Fight against them, just in case you did, until you have annihilated them. Like completely gone. So why didn't you obey the Lord? Why did you rush on the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? But I did obey the Lord, Saul answered. I'm I'm not close to being God. I can only imagine as a parent God's impatience at that point with Saul to think, oh my gosh, what do I have to do to get through to this guy? I mean, seriously. I went on the mission the Lord gave me. I brought back King Agag of Amalek and I completely destroyed the Amalekites. Completely destroyed, but you still got one of them. God didn't tell you to spare the king, right? The troops took sheep, goats, and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was set apart for destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God. He still just isn't getting it. He isn't getting it. Then Samuel said, Does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? Look, to obey is better than sacrifice. To pay attention is better than the fat of rams, for rebellion is like the sin of divination, and defiance is like wickedness and idolatry. And then the final blow here. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. And this is where he's going to lose his crown. Not immediately. It's going to take many more chapters. But this is where he loses his crown. Now, in chapter 16, you're going to see that Samuel and David, uh, that Samuel goes to David, who will be the successor king. I know we're not talking a lot about King David today, but uh, this is what happens in chapter 16. So he goes to him, and this couple of important things to note about King David. The first one is he's identified as a man after God's own heart, Sam, 1 Samuel 13, uh, verse 14. Right? And he wasn't perfect, if you're familiar with David's story. We also did a series on him. 
And so you can go on to our YouTube channel or on our lifepointenvy.com website and you can catch that series. We did that over a year ago. And you'll be able to watch that, tell you more about his life. But he was known as a man after God's own heart. He wasn't perfect. He made plenty of mistakes, but he sought to obey God. It was clear he had a relationship with God, whereas with Saul that we're seeing, it was just all about him. It was all about him. The second thing is, because of God's great love for humanity and ultimately for King David, this is where we get the Davidic covenant where he makes this promise that his line will continue long after him, and ultimately that line leads to Jesus who is the savior of the world, but it comes through David's line. We see it in 2 Samuel chapter 7, starting in verse 11. This is the Davidic covenant. The Lord declares to you, so talking to King David, the Lord himself will make a house for you. When your time comes and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up after you your descendant who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. King David wasn't allowed to build the temple for God. It would be his son, Solomon. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will discipline him with a rod of men and blows from mortals. But my faithful love will never leave him as it did when I removed it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and kingdom will endure before me forever, and your throne will be established forever. 